There wiener. is a huge wiener on the side of that truck. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me hungry looking at it. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It looks delicious. <laughs> well, we're live. Let's do this. Hey, welcome to Money Lab Podcast. I'm Parker Quigman, joined as always by Landon Castle. No, I have not switched up that intro, but I might have a you might have a chance to help me switch it up here soon. We're gonna come up with a way for you all to contact us. Because we feel like we see a lot of feedback on the social medias and such, but we want to give you one great place to give us all this feedback. That's coming soon. Uh, on this week's episode, it's Monday, so we're going to do this a little different. Uh, because there wasn't a ton of news out there, but there's a little bit from NASCAR we'll run through. And then we're going to dive into my preparation for going racing in the Xfinity Series at the biggest race of the year in Daytona. And what you can expect in the cup race. So we'll deep dive into that stuff. We've got some F1 driver news. And what is it worth to you to sell your soul to go racing? Uh, we've got mm. new car reveals and a spicy quote from Fernando Alonso. As I well as one. World Rally coming to America. What's that? I saw that one. I can't wait to get to that part. Yeah, I we, thought we'll we weren't going to dwell on all that stuff. Anyways, let's Well, go. we didn't. We're going to go quickly. <laughs> so let's start with the PR lap. Um, and as I mentioned... It's now just been told to me that we can talk about this. Friends at themoneylap.com. Once again, that's friends at themoneylap.com to send us all your feedback of what you'd love, hate, and most of all, absolutely dislike about Landon and I. Um, send it our way. We love all sorts of feedback. What? Why are you so But quick? just know because you're sending it to friends at themoneylap.com means that we are now friends. So We are friends. If you want to be our you friend, just, send yeah. it. If you don't want to be our friend. Yeah, friends yeah, and can if it be doesn't real. work, try again later. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of friends, our pact, send this to three friends if you like it, because we'd like more people to listen to this, even though there are more, many, many thousands of you, considering we now started putting this on X, and it got even more people out there, which is great. Uh, and also, shout out to all the Reddit people who I saw a NASCAR, on our uh, Reddit NASCAR, that... Uh, they asked for the best NASCAR podcast. We got listed a ton, Landon. So that was very cool. Yeah. I Shout thought out to that Reddit. Was, yeah, thank existing. you very much. We appreciate it. Yeah, even knowing we're just out there. No new written reviews on Apple. We're at 141 five-star reviews on our quest to 200. Go la- leave us a nice message. Uh, we got some on YouTube, though. Austin, Tom, and this is a long name. I'm not going to get there. Love the show. Keep it up. And UGA fan. 12132. Ranger was maybe the best interview I've ever seen. Thank you for having him on. I that saw was cool. that. Ranger Ranger's uh, in. Yeah. That's a kind of a cool. That's a, that's a big statement. That is huge. That is huge. I thought he was fun, and he, he lived up to what he is like in person, which is he doesn't hold back. He's pretty outspoken. Um, mm-hmm. And overall, just a really cool dude that drives really damn fast race cars. So love, you can't help but not like that. talking about his uh, process. That was cool. Yeah, it's fun. Hey, so there was a little football game last night called the Super Bowl. But more importantly than the game, Super Bowl commercials. I thought they were fun. But the <laughs> best one to me, Dunkin' Donuts. Knocked it out of the park. That's a good I thought one. thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, you get me every time there. If you put together a Goodwill hunting cast, I'm all in. Add in Jennifer Lopez and some ridiculous sort of – you know, acting bits. I th- I thought it was great. Did you have a favorite? Um, 
I don't I don't know if I could pick a favorite, but I did notice something about Super Bowl f- commercials that are trending towards just having a collection of celebrities in a commercial, not just a celebrity. Yep. In each commercial. And I and I'm wondering how much do those celebrities get paid? When you like the Dunkin' Lots. commercial. Like there we was were thinking what there a million was 10, bucks each? 12 celebrities in that commercial? Yeah. I mean but I'm thinking Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, I'm thinking a million bucks each, somewhere around there, right? Just for the commercial, because they're they're basically their name and likeness. They're going to run that for a year, not just the Super Bowl. Plus, it costs seven million bucks for thirty seconds. And then the crazy thing they're all doing now, if you noticed, is they're leveraging the celebrity past the commercial, where they're you know the commercial comes out, and then that celebrity tweets and throws up an Instagram reel of mm-hmm. the commercial or more behind the scenes from the commercial, well, and right? At the so, game. At the game, it just all sort of builds on itself, and so it's like they're just—it's a massive campaign centered around thirty seconds. So, okay, you have two—you have two seconds to answer this question. Okay, all in. What did yep. Duncan spend for Super Bowl? Oh, twenty-five million. I wouldn't be surprised. I bet that's—I bet that's the floor. You think? I don't that, know. I mean, it's there's fifteen celebrities in that commercial. Yeah, and you just and rattled it, off I mean, one of them that, all year. You just you just rattled off one of them that you you think made a million. Yep. Right. <laughs> so I mean, anyways, just do that twenty million over the year. Twenty million, that's million basically at least. like okay, so it's basically a full time cup sponsor. You know, it's Pennzoil level for sponsorship for the Super Bowl ad, but they'll leverage all year. So what works well, better? I don't know. Maybe NASCAR. Maybe you should have looked at NASCAR, Duncan. Give it a try next time. Come to us. Yeah. Well, I'm um, going to put some Dunkin' Donuts on my sandwich at lunch today. That is good for you. Support that's healthy. Of that is really healthy stuff. I, you know, that's the kind of health conscious living that professional race car drivers really, and you know, just live for. So, <laughs> uh, uh, one thing we don't live on? for, we don't live for this, but we're just going to talk about it for a second. Self-driving cars, a bit contentious no, topic out there. Don't love them. Not I've driven. I've, Driven a couple of them. None of them are what I consider self-driving. Uh, they're assisted cruise control at max. And uh, one of the recently, over the weekend, I guess, the there was a Waymo car, which is a self-driving company in San Francisco, that got attacked by a mob of people that eventually ended with it being lit on fire. Oh, my gosh. We can not confirm nor deny that there were professional race car drivers in that mob. Have no idea. Can't, can't tell. Can't say. So, um, that makes me don't realize like to see that, that my, stuff, but my meme about anti self-driving cars has been quite dormant for a while. It used to be in my mm. Twitter bio that I was an anti self-driving car activist. Obviously. You were, you were, were you in San Francisco last week? Last couple <laughs> no, days? I was not. No, no, I do have an alibi on that. Um, okay, good to know. Yeah, all right. I'm just making but, sure. Well, shout out to Waymo for they've been grinding it out for a while. Every time I go to Phoenix, you see those cars around. I've never actually ridden one though. But no, um, I haven't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't need it yet. It's not. We're not there yet. We're, I don't we don't need, need to be cars yet. On the highway, I can see it. Elsewhere seems far too chaotic. I like and... lane, I like lane assist and adaptive yeah, I love cruise. That. I use I utilize those. I use them too because I call them. I think of lane assist and sort of the uh, active cruise control as like bumpers on a 
bowling alley. Like they kind of just keep you in your lane. They keep you, you know, <laughs> yeah. just you know, just sort of you bop around. So yeah, and it's wonderful, and it just allows you to you know be a little bit more relaxed on a long drive on the highway. Totally behind that. Let's um, talk about some real driving for a second. Some real should. racing, because there was some Moving real on. racing going on this weekend. Well, there was, and to be honest, I don't know if I was inceptioned or what, but last week's episode, <laughs> I said, almost as a joke, but being halfway serious, that because of this inspiration of, of snow racing I saw in France many years ago, the NASCAR clash should go and do something crazy, like be in Aspen or Big Sky Montana. What was happening this weekend? Literally a snow race in Aspen, Colorado. The <laughs> Fat Ice Race group. Um, which started over in Switzerland, did one in Aspen. And it's, I guess Porsche is behind this, and they're a big part of it and that sort of thing. <laughs> but you know, they had some amazing cars. My buddy Lee Keen was out there with his um, Safari 911s, which if you've seen the, the 911s that are raised up uh, and sort of look like they're ready to go off-roading and rally racing, that's him. He builds all those. Um, awesome business. Back waitlisted for years. Can't get one even if you wanted it. Um, he was out there, and they were just run these things through the snow, and, and I saw Tanner Faust won in a VW Golf. <laughs> so that's hilarious. But I, I just thought that was so cool, and it, you know what? It paves the way, pardon the pun, for the NASCAR clash in Aspen. Um, I, you know what? I feel like we're burying the lead because this was just in our notes to talk about this. Um, What's but, that? No, but this whole race, because I had realized that – a really, really one of my best friends in the world, Jake Wolf, um, mm-hmm. was out there this weekend. And no so, way. if you go to his, if you go to his Instagram, it's Jake J A K E Wolf W O O L F on Instagram and on TikTok. Um, he's got a bunch of content from this event. So, um, which he did a like a, um, he did a ride with uh, Mr. Porsche. So I think it's oh no way. Porsche. Uh, yeah. Is his name yep. Faraday? I know, I know I'm saying it with the most American accent possible. So I'm going to let um, you s- go with that one because I can't correct you. I don't know the proper way of saying his name, but he, he's got, there's some. If you look at Jake's Instagram, he rode with Faraday Porsche. Um, looks like he ra- drove a go kart on some ice, like a shifter cart awesome. or something like that. So there's some cool stuff. Maybe not a shifter cart. I, I doubt that Jake was driving a shifter cart. But I'm just going to put out there. I believe the money lap needs to be at this event next year. So that and Goodwood. That and Goodwood. No, we have to be. This this is ridiculous that this happened and we weren't there. This year this time next year we'll be coming to you live post Aspen horrendously hungover. Um, maybe from the maybe the money lap and the drinks. What maybe the money <laughs> lap can race some kind of obscure ice car and then yes. We can put it into production to be a diecast collectible sold on spoilerdiecast.com, one of the fastest growing companies in the diecast industry because they pride themselves on their inventory, their exceptional service, all of their orders, as you know, Parker, ship same or next day, ensuring you get your hands on your favorite diecast products in no time, including whatever money lap obscure diecast we end up coming up with and selling on spoilerdiecast.com. Uh, they also offer free shipping on orders over $20. That's right. You have a smooth, affordable shopping experience with spoilerdiecast.com. They have over 800, and that number is going up. Unique products currently in stock. They have one of the largest inventories in the industry, NASCAR, 
uh, dirt, sprint cars, IndyCar, F1. You've heard me list all of it. We are all racing fans. We love growing our collections. We're going to try to find some kind of golf with ice tires and snow tires to sell on SpoilerDieCast.com. But until then, you can go to SpoilerDieCast.com and get geared up for the NASCAR season. You know what we need to do for the ice race What's next that? year that will become our diecast? Hmm. We go through Castle Motors. We get some great cars no one's <laughs> thinking about. Turn them into ice race monsters and go win up at the ice race <laughs> yes. in Aspen. That's what we're that, doing. Can't wait. That might be more from our salvage yard at Sunline uh, is where That's we get perfect. those cars, not the front awesome. line at Castle Motors. But, yeah. Yeah, well, we I use your you. contacts and the, your industry knowledge. There you go. So, perfect. Uh, great job. Great transition. I would die, I would buy a Money Lab Ice Race diecast. Remember, you can get my diecast, spoiler diecast as well. Uh, the Big Machine number forty-eight Spike Light Coors diecast. Um, pre-order it, and you can get one that has uh, me autographing it as well. So that'd be cool. Let's move into NASCAR quickly. Just some big topics that are floating around the NASCAR verse. Tony Stewart basically said that SHR needs to pick it up, and that their their performance is not acceptable as of late. They've got a young lineup there with Noah Gregson, Ryan Priest, Chase Briscoe. Um, and who am I? What did I just forget? Fourth one. Josh Berry. Josh Berry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, we're a really knowledgeable racing podcast. <laughs> uh, can't disagree with them. We'll see if SHR can pull it off. And then just mm. friend of the pod, Raja Carruth, uh, finally announced he's full-time in the Spire number 71 truck. Uh, in 2024, racing for the Truck Series Championship, which is cool to see. Frankie Munez will attempt to make the show for the Xfinity race with Joey Gase um, racing. So Frankie making his Xfinity debut. So we'll get a lot of attention there. That'll be fun. Hopefully we can get him on the pod. I've been trying for a while. I'm going to keep pestering him. Hopefully we'll get him on soon talk about his love of racing. And my old truck team, Henderson Motorsports, we had the bean machine for a while. They're rocking the hot dog <laughs> hot rod. This ballpark buns, rolls car. <laughs> Truck, I uh, I like it. But as I mentioned, um, there's a giant <laughs> hot dog. Wiener. There's a huge wiener on the side of that truck. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me hungry looking at it. Um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> That's, I love it. It looks delicious. <laughs> Take it down in one bite. All right. Okay. So <laughs> I mentioned that we were going to do something a little different than just ripping through and diving into those topics. Because Daytona is coming up, it's the kickoff for NASCAR across all three national series. Of course, for myself, racing the Xfinity series, uh, you know, pick, we start with our biggest race as well, as, opposed, as well as the Daytona 500 and Cup. Um, I thought it'd be fun if you and I just chatted for a little bit about how a driver goes into a season for our listeners out there. <laughs> because we are drivers uh, who wouldn't know exactly what we're doing in this time leading up and then how we tackle being the first race at a speedway is our biggest race. So personally, for me, the process obviously starts basically when we get into 2024 in terms of you know starting to look at last year's notes and crafting some of the things I feel like I need to work on and look at. It starts with tape. So tape is big for super speedway racing. The people have heard us talk about that. That's more this week for me prior mm -hmm. to this. I did look in, at some tape and utilizing some help I have now, uh, looked at some specific scenarios I felt like I could be better at in the draft in terms of timing uh, runs and timing blocks, that sort of thing. And then the last 
piece for me for super speedways that's always important i racing i go on i racing and i run super speedway races not because do i think the draft model is exact no it's not but it's fun and it's close it's the biggest thing for me it doesn't matter if it's talladega or daytona is to go and just start making those decisions in a draft mm -hmm. right those those last minute split second decisions to block a lane to come back in front of another lane to take a run or don't take a run to choose the bottom or use the top to be aggressive and take a make a third lane come in that sort of thing uh i racing i always feel like just does a great is a great tool for me to get those those moments in my head playing out not just mm -hmm. sort of in terms of visualization but actually doing them and making those decisions and and i don't make a lot of correct decisions i did talladega the other day and um i wrecked on the last lap so probably had it won mm. which was unfortunate but the point being i thought for everyone listening out there like that is how my personally myself is going into daytona and then the last thing is mental mindset so last year i discovered when i get halfway through the year i started to look at when i was successful in super speedways versus when i wasn't and what i really uh landed on was that some of my best moves and my best ability at super speedways comes in the last portion of the race when I'm the most just like in the zone, making moves, that sort of thing. And I'm super intense about it. And so I, when I went in the July or August Daytona last year, I try, I, I, for weeks, I kept trying to tell myself, how can I get into that intensity mode on lap one? And mm -hmm. sure enough, it was a game changer for me. Got more stage points, was able to just be in the front the whole time. We you know, got down late to the race, and we're in the conversation to win it. Did the same thing at Talladega in the truck race in the fall. Had that race, was in perfect position to make a run at it, coming out of turn four and made the wrong move. But the point being, I won a stage, stayed up front, just kept the intensity level high. And so that's definitely how I'm approaching Super Speedway racing in 2024, considering we have two races off the bat with Daytona Atlanta back-to-back. Have -back. Um, I missed anything? What would you be focusing on? No, you got to – I think the intensity is a really important one that you're absolutely right on. I think those weeks and days leading up to the race um, is – my research has always been a little bit more fundamental and just strategy-focused like you described. Um, I've found a lot of success in super speedway racing, especially in, you know, in um, – 2022 going into super speedway racing just setting my strategy which was which lanes i liked which lanes i liked for overtaking um what i felt like my strategy needed to be when we were single file around the top um in order to leapfrog positions um that was the kind of stuff that i watched film for um that i prepared for um you know you're absolutely right about i racing the drafting model itself isn't necessarily what it, it you know one-to-one -one comparison to what you're going to experience in real life but just sharpening the mindset um it's it's really useful for that uh, but yeah i kind of i kind of would set go into daytona and talladega with um the lanes i wanted to be in how i wanted to overtake and then once you get to the racetrack i think it's just all about intensity and just mm -hmm. finding like you said finding that way to to be focused um from lap one because it's really easy to get lazy in the middle of those races yep um because all into it basically it's not um the reason it's easy to get lazy is because you're not necessarily driving the car itself to its absolute limit 
you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're wide open a lot. You're, you have the ability to maneuver lanes. You can choose where to take the car, right? And in, at a mile and a half track, you can't always choose where to take the car. The car, <laughs> you know, you're, you're on the limit of the tire. So, um, it actually, it just comes way more natural to be focused, um, at a short track or a mile and a half track. It's really easy to lose focus at an, inter at a super speedway. Um, and, and like you said, Parker, you got to make sure that you don't lose focus because there's stage, po stage points to be earned um, and there's track position to be earned. So that intensity is important. Um, I, obviously, I s spend a lot of time on pit road. So um, Daytona has a pretty unique pit road with some unique segments. So um, I'll usually spend a little extra time there and, and uh, make sure I have a good strategy for how I want to drive pit road. There's always a couple positions to be gained getting on and off pit road. And you're pretty much guaranteed to have at least one green flag pit stop, um, yep. even in the Xfinity race. So um, I always make sure I'm pretty well prepared for that. And then also, I know you and I talked about it on the phone the other day, but um, just being the first race of the season, I am uh, make sure that my body is where I want it to be, um, A, fitness-wise going into the season, but B, just weight-wise, you know, we have to weigh in. Um, so you're kind of, as a driver, you're trying to make sure that you're right at a cutoff weight, um, yep. so that once you do weigh in, you can start cutting, you know, shedding some pounds. And then maybe by mid season, you revisit your weight, um, the next time you get, get scaled in for the playoffs. But, um, you know, the way NASCAR does their weight, their driver weight is the car and the driver have to weigh the same amount for all competitors. So if you have a heavier driver, their car can weigh less. Um, if you have a lighter driver, they have to add more weight to the car. But at the end of the day, all cars and all drivers have an equal weight amount. Yep. Um, so the drivers are incentivized to weigh in heavy so they can have a lighter car. Um, and then obviously if you can shed that weight over the course of uh, a month or two, um, then you kind of reap the benefits there. Obviously and NASCAR, they usually... at, NASCAR at any time technically um, can just pull the drivers back and reweigh them. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that has happened before. It hasn't happened to me, but um, I'm, I think it's happened before. But I've, I've never gotten egregious with weight stuff. I've just always, you know, done it legit. So I always show up to Daytona mm. a little bit heavy. Yep. Um, belly full, <laughs> do. big breakfast, <laughs> drink about three <laughs> or four bottles of water before I go weigh in. Um, and, and usually, you know, if you're 165-pound driver – um, you can get yourself to 170, you yep. know, and that 170 is a threshold that matters. So we don't have to spend too much time talking about weight, but that is an interesting little nugget that people well, don't always realize. I have a joke about it because we do all our photos and everything a lot of times at Daytona, and there's a lot of like preseason, get the new, you know, the latest Feel a look chubby of your fire your suit, and everyone's the chubbiest they're going to be all year because everyone's trying to be just that little bit higher, get in the next bracket, so it's by 10-pound increments basically. Um, and so I, I always laugh because everyone rolls in Daytona. You think like, oh, in the off season, they've been training as hard as they can. And, and yes, but at the same time, you're trying to be as heavy as possible in that one moment. Yeah. Um, personally, I, you know, usually in my heaviest around this time right now. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of holiday weight, a little bit of purposeful, uh, muscle weight. And, you know, from this point onward, it's more about cardio training and that sort of thing to be, you know, for stamina and to, sort of get my, my weight probably back to a, a little bit lower. Last year for the playoffs, just the last thing on this, we uh, we have a meeting, a mandatory meeting for all the drivers at Bristol for the kickoff of the playoffs. And it was really funny because Wayne Auten 
you know, does this, who's the series director, and he he does this speech about, hey, you know, you guys made the playoffs, here's what's the focused on you, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, all right, and now all of you are going to get down to your boxers and weigh in. <laughs> no one knew it was coming. And it was like, oh, okay. So I thought that was, that was kind of funny because they have that power to do it any time. Um, <laughs> you mentioned something else that was really cool, and I, I think we should just dive into it for a sec because it, it plays into what cup drivers are focused on as well in the cup series and just super speedway racing in general, and that is this idea of being able to or get lulled into sort of relaxing, right? The intensity comes down. It sounds ridiculous. You're going 200 miles an hour. You're in a pack of cars. The air is buffeting around you. Even when we're running up next to the wall, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a very intense environment. But because you almost get desensitized, especially in a long run, 40 laps, right? 30, 40 laps to the speed, you can – I've seen it on my whoop, you know, which tracks my heart rate. You're, you can relax. And that is mm-hmm. one thing where I, I see it, where someone relaxes – a move gets made, they react late, and that kicks off a wreck, right? Mm-hmm. And that is one of the things I have, you know, I felt like just staying up front and the idea of just trying to be up front has worked for me to keep that intensity up because it's in those moments where I get lulled or I get relaxed that I find you actually, you open up that possibility for mistake. Um, and we saw well, it in the truck race last year, you pointed it out with, uh, I think it was Crafton. And his wreck, he sort of got relaxed in that mid lane, didn't protect. Bam, he was in a wreck. Right, right. That was just a mental. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was an unforced error on his part at the time. But, um, you know, statistically, um, in the Xfinity series, mm. the safest place to be in the field is in the top six at a super Bam. speedway. Um, Makes sense. The top six or the bottom 25, or not bottom 25, but 25th on back. Uh, those are the safest places to be, right? Obviously, we don't want to just ride around 25th or worse, we're trying to score stage points. So it is important, Parker, talking to you, to make sure that that sixth place is is an important number um, to be sixth or higher to to actually protect yourself from a wreck. And I found that. That was, I mean, that was a, uh, uh, that's a a data point that I lived to um, in my last full season of of racing. Um, And... It's. I found success with it at super speedways. I did did fairly well, and um, when I was running the top four, top five, it just seemed like every time there was a wreck, it was behind me, right, mm-hmm. or or right next to you, but you slipped through it. So, um, in the Cup Series, that's a different number. Um, in the Cup Series, yep. there is no safe place, believe it or not, <laughs> statistically. Okay. <laughs> um, there is that no makes safe a lot place of in the Cup Series. Yeah, and that's the feel. And and the reason being, I think, is just because the field is tighter and more competitive. Um, and more consistent talent all the way through the field that mm-hmm. it's, there's really no predicting where the wreck's going to come from. Um, it just and comes from anywhere. That is pretty interesting because it. Uh, I've always told people about Super Speedway Racing in Cup is like, is like a controlled wreck every lap of every second mm-hmm. that just doesn't happen. <laughs> because when, especially the old car, you know, before the next gen, you would be in Talladega, you'd be in three or four wide, and you would run lap after lap. And in the middle of the pack, you will see things. A car gets really like a big wiggle, or it touches someone's left rear real close, and there's a little pop, you know, a pop of smoke that no one would see from the outside on the TV cameras. And you're like, oh, that's a wreck. Oh, that's a wreck. Oh, that's a wreck. And they just don't happen because the talent level is so high. Everyone's so good. And so it makes sense that there's probably no safe place because everyone's so damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is uh you know it's a testament to the talent level of the cup series but also just the intensity 
and it's easier to keep that intensity in a cup race, even with that being that long. So if you're listening yeah. and you're a driver and you're about to approach Daytona, intensity, understanding where you want to be, and a strategy, keeping the top six, you mm-hmm. might have a chance. So that's my plan. Hopefully we can kick off Daytona with a win, lock ourselves in the playoffs, have an excellent season to build on last year, finally get that monkey off our back of, of getting a checkered flag, which would be awesome. Um, also, this race is the highest pain race of the year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, anything for the Cup Series we should be paying attention to before we move on? Just for people listening out there, you know, I think with the next-gen era, what has changed and what teams are continuing to figure out, and I can tell you this is a big topic, is less the OEM stuff and more the idea of fuel and how fuel saving is becoming important because we talked about it on the uh, React that will be up on our YouTube channel here this week where we watched last year's race um, and uh, you know sort of dissected what we saw in in that race and the moves we would have you know we thought were good and bad. But one of the big things and the topic that's going to continue is that if you save fuel. Your short, your stops are shorter. It allows more of the window to be opened up in terms of your strategy, which can get you track position because it is hard to move forward uh, mm-hmm. in the next gen era. So we'll see if that continues to play out. But that would be something I know if I were going to pit report this race. That when I went and talked to ten or twelve crew chiefs, they would talk to me about fuel, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's um, um, That'll be particularly interesting in that in that third stage. That's where we'll watch that the most. Um, and shortening those pit stops by if you can shorten it by one second or even half a second, that mm-hmm. just makes a big difference. We've seen with this next gen car that those long green flag pit st- cycles turns into some separated single file groups, um, yep. and that's what those manufacturers want at the end of the race. You know, they want to break away and have a four, five, six car draft. Um, 10 car draft 10 car draft gets a little bit too much to where well 10 car i'm sorry i'm walking all over myself here but a 10 car <laughs> draft is is going to be one of the fastest single file lines there can be four to five cars is not fast enough those guys will end up getting caught up eight cars eight to ten is about a, a good number for a really fast single file line any more than nine ten eleven cars when you get into that number now you're getting enough cars in a line where somebody's going to go side by side right and then Mm. it's going to slow down that group and it's going to bring in a whole pack so what these manufacturers are trying to do in those you know closing stages of a race is find a seven or eight maybe ten car group to be able to pit with and try to make a single file breakaway from the field um and that's where like you said that's where the saving fuel plays into it who can have that fastest final pit stop break away from the from the lead pack uh, and run away from them? One last point on that bit, and it actually mm. goes for Xfinity and Cup stage points. Uh, one thing you need to think about with all the the old fashioned style of lean, you know laying back, unless you do that in stage three, the loss if you're someone who can be up front in terms of points can be massive. If you win, just say you win both stages at a super speedway. Mm-hmm. The worst points-wise you can finish is somewhere around 20th. That is hugely different than getting wrecked with two to go and finishing 34th, right, and getting just a handful of points. And so the incentive to be up there, up at the front for stages, is massive. And so for the cup side, 
you start that fuel saving on lap one, and you start to think about that because those stage points, if you can have that opportunity, can make mm. the outcome of your day massively different. Think about the three-car of Austin Dillon last year. He ran the back, then got didn't get any stage points, got in position there just for the last couple laps to be in a top three or maybe you know make a move on his teammate to win. He gets wrecked. He gets almost nothing out of Daytona at that day. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great a point. And, and where that compounds for those drivers and teams throughout the season is in this even more competitive cup series that we're seeing, you know, more competitive than ever, is you, you want to eliminate those 30th place or worse points days, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you have teams that have a win that are 25th in points that are going to get into playoffs. So you have to get, you know, the amount of points that it takes to make the playoffs um, is higher than ever. And you've, you know, it's this, this earning stage points over the course of the season, um, increasing your average per race points is going to be more important. It's not just about where you finish. Well, we have given away all the insight. (laughs) (laughs) If you are approaching this weekend, you now know exactly what to do. That means I know what to do. There's no excuses. Time to go get the trophy. Uh, last bit on NASCAR before we move on. Legacy Motor Club is going to go field the team in Extreme E, the electric off-road racing series. Um, Jimmy Johnson will drive in most of the series races, but he can't do the opener because of the Daytona 500. So our buddy, Travis Pastrana, is going to be filling in for him, That's which is cool. cool. Um, yeah, and I think this is sort of a response to Ganassi leaving the series. Uh, I'm guessing that Legacy Motor Club kind of filled that uh, position okay. and opportunity. So cool to see. It's an interesting series. They kind of go rally rating um and it's a you have to have a male and a female and um it's it's interesting i've watched a little bit of it so we'll we'll see how jimmy does back to his roots in off-road racing let's move out of nascar i think we've covered it all that's what's gonna happen at daytona uh we made our picks i think did we make picks you have a pick for a winner daytona no cup i haven't made no? any picks Mm-mm. i have a pick you want to make one uh, sure all right I'm going Kyle Busch. He gets it done. Daytona 500. Daytona 500. It's his year. I don't think so. Mm. Kyle's not a Daytona guy. He was close last year. Well, he's a Dayton- He's good at Daytona. He's not a Talladega guy. Yeah, and he's got ECR power. He is good Driving at Daytona. for Richard. Yep. I think it's the year. He gets it done. Who you got? I don't know. Do you go with? Do you go with a logical decision or do you just go for an insanity daytona like does john hunter nemechek win daytona 500 that would be big for him (laughs) (laughs) you just got to make a pick you really just probably just probably you know what it's the it's the year of william byron for me all right big william byron fan i'm going all in on william byron this year if we were allowed to bet you would be all in on that guy. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully he can live up to it for you. We'll see. Let's move on. Formula One. It's uh, it's a series that's quite large, and that means a lot of people want to be in it. And to get to it, it takes a massive financial backing uh, amount to get there in the form of dollars and money and monetary devices that you can provide <laughs> to get into a car and to get through the ladder system from carts through the junior formula to getting into an F1 car. 
at times. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, it was somewhere estimated around 12 to 15 million, to maybe 20. And now it's gotten as high, I believe, as estimations that to get to Formula One is going to cost you somewhere in the range of 30 to $40 million um, mm. in total funding needed from carts all the way into the car. Now, obviously, that doesn't always come from the driver. Maybe that comes from um, sponsorship or these development programs that the F1 teams themselves have. But that sounds a massive amount of money. Well, it could be higher, $50 million, $60 million. I don't know. If you're Lance Stroll, it's probably in the hundreds of millions because your dad bought a team. So I don't know if it's really – that's just the estimation of taking if you went, you know, series by series all the way from carts mm-hmm. up. Um, so it's it's an immense amount of money. Nonetheless, last week, one of the most – I don't know if this is uh, the word for this. I think worst deals I've ever seen in the history of, of a driver <laughs> trying to get themselves funded. Nick DeVries, who was let go from AlphaTauri last year, uh, had taken on a loan – from a supporter in the form of $250,000 that gave that person 50% of their earnings if they made it to F1 by a certain date. Now, that was 2022 that he had to make it to F1. He was a reserve driver for Williams when Alex Albon was under the weather. I believe it was at Monza. And so Nick DeVries filled in for him. This, the supporter felt like then, uh, you know, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Activated. Him? Yeah, well, activated the clause, which is that he then gets 50% of his earnings, which career, then the next year he be- Forever earnings. Yeah, career, wildest thing ever for $250,000. This, then, you know, he goes and races for AlphaTauri in 2023 um, and or gets that full-time opportunity, basically, and, you know, then was let go. This person is now suing him for those earnings. And I, I don't know. I mean, this is – in America, I feel like this is something that would have been predatory, maybe thrown out. You know, there are drivers – so we can we could talk for 30 or for three hours on the amount of drivers out there who have done different schemes uh, to get funded, which, whether it's giving away future mm-hmm. earnings or – I believe Justin Wilson was uh, on the public stock exchange as his entity at one point. Really? Um, yep. There's multiple drivers. Uh, Scott Dixon and, and a lot of those drivers in the out of New Zealand do deals with a group that actually helps fund them and then gets a percentage of their earnings after that. There's a lot of drivers who have done this. Um, there have been some in NASCAR who have done it, right? And the idea being that, you know, in the driver's position, especially early on, they don't have a lot to lose. If they don't make it there, they don't owe it, right? But if they do make it to the top, they do start making significant income, they re- reward the people who supported them. Pretty simple mm-hmm. scheme in that sense. I think this one is, as I said, predatory in the idea of that amount of money being worth 50% of career earnings when a driver, the, the floor in F1 now is a million bucks. And the, the, the question that comes out of this is, Landon, what are you willing to sell your soul for to get to F1? <laughs> because yeah, these, deals just just don't, was. these deals just don't typically work. I've, um, I've, I've turned down deals like this in my career um actually very early in my career i had a deal similar to what nick was offered there um where it wasn't 50 percent of my earnings but it was more like 10 or 20 percent of my earnings i don't remember exactly 
I think the uh, the number that this group was willing to invest was like somewhere around a million dollars in my career. This is when I was a teenager, so I was like 17, mm. 16, 16 at the time. Um, and basically it was, they were, you know, investing a certain amount of money in my career. And then once I got to NASCAR, one of the top three series, this is how the contract was written, trucks, Bush series or cup, um, that they would start recouping that percentage of my career earnings for the rest of my career. (laughs) And, um, I did not do the deal. Um, and glad I didn't. Um, I do know another driver that did that deal um, with that entity. Um, and that driver did make it to NASCAR um, and and did end up having to, it got out of the deal one way or another. I think they, he, ch- he just didn't want to pay it. Um, because the, at the end of the day, it's not a, I mean, it the, they're bad deals for both yep. parties, really. And I've, and so even beyond that deal, um, I've been, I don't want to say faced. I've met with plenty of people over the course of my career that have tried to express interest in some kind of investment or something in, in like me as the athlete, as opposed to sponsorship. Um, and I've never really come up with a structure that worked for me or the other party. Um, and I don't really know how to explain why it's, it's not like, you know, there's golfers that do this with great success, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think Which that the cost, sense. I think that the cost of of funding a golfer in comparison to what the potential upside is um, makes it worth it for the investor, and makes it worth it for the golfer. Um, you know, to invest a couple hundred thousand on someone whose career earnings might be several million a year, um, I think can pencil out. But for a race car driver, a couple hundred thousand is just like, it's like a coin flip on whether that (laughs) even has any bearing on whether the driver can, if that money helps the driver make it to a professional level or not anyways. Yeah. Um, The only way to properly have the funding to, to get someone to the professional level is to commit millions of dollars. And at that point, there is no way to recoup that money just purely off of driver earnings. Um, race car drivers just don't make that kind of money. So it, it's, there's, there's really no, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to put together. And, and then obviously you can't, if you're a driver like Nick or any of these drivers who have owed money to these investors, and I'm not trying to say that the drivers are morally right in this scenario, but it's like what you can't force a guy to go drive a race car just because he can to recoup the investment. So it's just the incentive structure is not right. And then to read about Nick's deal, um, he had to make it to F1 by a certain date. So like uh, he was incentivized to not race F1. Like what? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, not that that really played into this deal. It sounded like, you know, he was a reserve driver and then he got his ride in 23. Um, But they just just don't work. They're bad deals. Um, I don't know one that has ended well. Every I know several several drivers, not just the example that I gave. I know several drivers. I know drivers in the Cup Series right now that have taken deals like this. Um, hmm. And but I don't know a single deal that played out the way that it was written up to begin with. Every deal that I know of has either ended in a lawsuit, has ended in some kind of outside settlement, has ended in some kind of buyout. Because once you get to the point 
of the deal happening, everybody realizes this is this thing doesn't work. Yep. And I think it's the you know, the the earnings of drivers in the top level of motorsports fluctuates so drastically with the popularity and the sponsorship around the sport that, you know, if you make a deal in the early 2000, you know, 2005, in 2015, 2018, you're going to be pretty disappointed on what the earnings were compared to 2005. Like, that's just fact. So, I, you know, I talked, I called you on the phone on this and, yeah. um, but like, I had a conversation with somebody just the other day that was um, talking about what they, what their plans are for this year and told me about the driver they're working with and, and they were like, you know, yeah, the driver's dad is paying 80 grand a race for the driver to be in this car. It's in a NASCAR hmm. top three series car, truck, Xfinity, or cup car. Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, they've got plans to run this many races, and the dad is, is paying 80 grand a race for the driver to drive this car. And I'm like, how, how rich do you, you know what I mean? Like, like how, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, these people aren't, this isn't like Middle Eastern oil money rich, right? This is like yep. Midwestern small business successful family money type rich or southeastern i don't know where they're from actually to be honest with you but like this isn't even like my dad owns a silicon valley investment firm this is like my dad owns a big construction company and um <laughs> you know he yeah. has a and and the yeah has done well has but done there's, well there's, yeah but like at what point racing is, rich <laughs> how many eighty thousand dollar checks do you got to write to to race a car before you realize that the teams aren't paying, you know what I mean? Like yep. Jeff Gordon maybe made $20 million, but that was 20 years ago. Yep. Right. This, there's nobody in the cup series. If you have to spend $10 million to get your kid to the cup series, um, it might take him maybe 10 years to recoup that. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to let him support a lifestyle and, pay for you know live um and then also recoup your own investment or you know i guess we're talking about parents and dads and you know there's no i don't know there's no financial economics here that makes sense to me um unless these people don't know unless the people getting into the sport right now don't i don't maybe they're not thinking of it like that Maybe we're jaded because we've been around. Maybe they haven't had this. Maybe they haven't had those conversations with a big team yet, where the, they realize, oh, um, my kid's not going to get paid unless there's money to pay them. Like somebody else's mm-hmm. has to pay them, the sponsor, because the teams don't reach into their pockets right now at the truck and Xfinity level, especially to pay a driver a half a million bucks. Yep, yep. It's it's a really interesting situation because. There is a lot of enthusiasm around motorsports right now, right? And it's mm-hmm. in a good spot, and it has massive media deals across F1 and NASCAR, and you see all these numbers, and then you realize the trickle-down effect is not great there. Um, you know, the the pointy end can be lucrative, but it's a very small percentage, as with anything in, in life, right? Mm-hmm. you got to be at yeah, the top 1% sure. if you want to be the one but reaping a lot of people. Rewards. I mean, there's a great living to be made in racing, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely, and, and, definitely. And it doesn't – and there's a great but living to be made in – Racing for drivers that are in the Xfinity series and in the truck series, right? Exactly. I'm, I not, think I'm not trying was... to say that there's one way or the other, right? You, I mm-hmm. mean, look at and uh, not to just like start 
naming people, but like look at you can look at the Xfinity and the Truck Series roster and look at any driver that's been there for longer than two or three years, and you know that that guy's probably finding a way to make a living, right? Jeb yep, Burton, exactly, right? Yep. Um, Stephen Parsons, Tommy Joe Justin Martins Allgaier. obviously owns a team. Justin Allgaier, you know, is is maybe on the pointy end of the spectrum because he's got a yeah. high level sponsor, but you know, there's drivers out there, Ryan Ellis, you know, like those guys are making a living. They're finding a way. Mm -hmm. Um, they might be making a hundred grand a year. They might be making 250. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's when you introduce the, like the, you know, somebody's paying for that somehow for them to make a hundred grand a year for them to make 250. Right. Somebody Mm -hmm. is paying for that. It could be a sponsor. It could be their parents. Right. Obviously, I know yep. that Jeb Burton's dad is not stroking eighty thousand dollar race checks. Um, <laughs> you know, Jeb Burton is is running a business. He generates his own sponsorship revenue to get himself in these rides. But like, you know, when you bring in like these truck series drivers and these young drivers, where you know, dad is writing hundred thousand check dollar check after hundred thousand dollar check, and you do wonder like, what's the what's the strategy there? When is that? When does yep. that end? Do they expect it to end? Do they think at what level do they think or, or have they been told that team owners will start paying them and not the other yep. way around? Where I was going with it was, yeah, what are you willing to spend as the cutoff to eventually flip to the other side of getting paid, right? And I think there are drivers right now in the Cup Series whose families spent well above $20 million for them to be there, mm-hmm. right? And are is it paying off, right? Is it... Are they, you know, what is the timetable that that's going to pay off? Does it matter? If you're willing to spend that amount, does it even matter to that family and their, their wealth, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually some that are above 25 that I know of. So it, it's, mm-hmm. I think that's where you have to do that. You know, they have to have almost like an internal check. And do they have good advisors and good people around them that know the sport really well and have said, hey, look, here's the situation. Here's what it's going to cost. And not to put wool over their eyes, like, and say, hey, no, you win the race and he'll get be paid. It's like, no, that's not how it works, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, this is going to be a long-term plan, and you need to have a plan with it. And I think that's what's going to be super interesting looking at drivers like uh, Kevin Harvick's son and Kyle Busch's son and so on and so forth, who are these drivers who, you know, are going to be doing this in a way that, like, they're already getting sponsors very young and they're, they're, you know, they're probably planning this out three or five years or mm-hmm. more because they know what they're up against. Right. And they know, mm-hmm. and they probably internally are like, look, I know this is going to work or not at this point. Right. So I find that interesting as we see, you know, that those, those families and how they do it versus a family who's not endemic to racing and, mm-hmm. you know, is trying to figure it out from the outside, which is tough. There's no right way. Landon. Interesting stuff. Plenty more yep. conversation to have about it. This has been definitely very enjoyable. We got, I do want to get to a couple of those things that we referred to earlier in the show. Um, Alonzo has some good quotes. So let's, let's finish up on the F1 stuff before we yeah. before we move on. We did take a little bit. Of, uh, we got sidetracked a little Detoured. bit. Detoured. That's okay. Uh, yeah, it's all right. Sometimes you know not every load, road is uh, straight. So I just like this quote from Mick Schumacher, who has admitted, has admitted to being in uh, contact with Total Wolf to replace Lewis Hamilton. He is, uh, I believe, their test driver. And he said, his quote is, I think few people know how good I am. I did quote tweet this and say, said every sports car, uh, indoor karting hero, and sim racer. (laughs) 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 And by sports car, I meant club racer, sorry. Uh, Basically, anywhere you go in the world that someone drives race cars or karts, um, 
it isn't professional yet. That's a good quote that you will hear. So well, Mick, some of the names we'll that I've seen thrown around for this Mercedes ride have surprised me that maybe you know maybe Mercedes is looking at George Russell being their lead driver here and and filling. That, I think he's ready that role with either a rookie or um, you know or Mick Schumacher, who wouldn't be necessarily a rookie, but um, he would be a risk um, mm-hmm. if you're if you're talking about trying to compete at the championship caliber level um that that mercedes is expected to compete but hey if if george russell is your guy um he might be ready like you said he might be ready and then you can you know they can make that move with mick and and build him up to where he needs to be i I stand by george russell i think that guy's a boss total boss i don't think there's any reason that wouldn't work no, I think that works, and I think it's down to what level of risk. Is it a Mick Schumacher? Is it Kimi Antonelli, the F2 driver that they that has been tabbed out there? I like Mick Schumacher because of the marketing can hold off the pressure of needing to perform mm-hmm. at a high level right away. So that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some more car reveals. We don't even need to go into that. One thing from the American in F1, Logan Sargent put out last week that he's gained 5 kilos, which is 11 pounds, after a draining 2023 debut, um, so he's rethunk, he's rethought his training <laughs> approach. And rethunk it. Rethunk it. Yeah, that's a word. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think that's – he's like uh, – he's showing up just like all the NASCAR drivers. A little, little plump right now. So we'll see how that plays out for him. But we, we mentioned at the beginning the greatest thing to happen in F1 this week that was, I thought, the most intriguing was Fernando Alonso at the launch for the Aston Martin – Challenger in 2024 uh, was quoted as to say he <laughs> he felt like Lewis had a different dream than going to Ferrari just 12 months ago, <laughs> and so it was kind of throwing shade on this idea that Lewis was like, "I've always wanted to drive Ferrari. This has been a dream of mine," and he was like, "I feel like 12 months ago your dream was just to stay with Mercedes forever." So I don't know what the animosity yeah, is there. Was, was that not your dream? Six yeah. months ago, I think is exact what he said. Yeah, I think exactly. That's a funny quote. I love that. I think it's cool. I like to see a little bit of of uh, banter in F one. You know, I feel like it's all been too lovey dovey as of late. All the drivers are going to dinner together, which I don't really care for. I want to <laughs> see a little bit of. I want to see a little bit of competition and a little banter, a little smack talk. I think we got it there, Fernando in his old age, not holding back. <laughs> Yeah, it, here's the exact quote. It was not his childhood dream 12 months ago, no, or two months ago, I guess, because it was a different dream. <laughs> his dream, and then, and then he finished, his dream was definitely not to drive for Ferrari. I don't know him well enough to know his dreams. <laughs> uh, that's great. Thank you for clarifying, by the way, that Fernando Alonso does not have the power to be in another driver's dreams <laughs> actively. He does exactly. not have the inception tool. Um, exactly. So we'll see. I like that. That'd be, that's fun. Uh, I just want to, last thing, before we get going on this pod, I thought this has been a different episode. As always, if you like this, please like or subscribe on YouTube. Send it to three friends uh, in audio or on YouTube. But a big shout-out to the World Rally Championship, which have revealed Chattanooga, Tennessee, potential WRC event happening. They are doing an American rally this year. Uh, where the WRC officials will sort of do an exhibi- exhibition, but a true World Rally Championship rally in the United States 
March 2026 is what they're wow. expecting. That would be awesome. So, and I think I, you know what? I don't want to say I couldn't think of a better because there's plenty, there's um, inc- so many great venues um, in the United States for a World Rally Cross or World Rally Championship. But um, Chattanooga is a great venue for this. Chattanooga mm. is great at hosting this this type of stuff. They've hosted the Ironman World Championships. They've hosted all kinds. It's just a, it's, it's like a, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Diamond in the rough, yep. Um, place part of our country. So that would be. I want to be there. Be pretty cool. This is this pl- uh, test event is in June. I want to go. I don't know how to make it happen. I haven't looked at the dates, but I want to be there. I want to be there for real WRC. That is too cool. I've always wanted to see those cars in person. I've always wanted to drive one. I've actually driven a Group N car, which is the lower series of WRC cars on the Isle of Man, which was uh, right hand drive, and it's a <laughs> wild story. With Mark Higgins, who was a rally champ, um, I'll tell that one another time. But it, uh, I've just always wanted to see these cars in person. I think it's some of the coolest stuff out there. I think they're the coolest looking cars. So awesome. a real USA event would be awesome. Have we missed anything, Landon, on this uh, Monday? I think Daytona uh, Eve. Other than the potential, I could just damper this whole thing with the potential weather you have going on in Daytona this week. So we'll hey, keep whoa, an eye whoa, on the whoa. weather. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Don't use that word. Don't you dare. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully you can get this race going on schedule. Um, there's nothing better than the Daytona 500 in the sunshiny 90-degree mm. cars sliding around. It is just a beautiful thing. Daytona it's, in a hot hot weather. Daytona is just great racing. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's almost a romantic sight. A hot day. It is. Daytona. It is. They go from the, the sun setting late in the race to the nighttime finish. Yep. It's poetic. Um, and so hopefully we have that. But I'm looking forward to it. We're getting this season started. We're going to go kick ass in the Xfinity Series, and we're going to keep our eyes on F1, NASCAR Cup Series, and everything in the motorsports world here on The Money Lap. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to The Money Lap. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the best five minutes in motorsports or sometimes just the coolest stuff in motorsports. Delivered directly to your inbox three times a week. Check us out on YouTube. We're growing fast over there. And, of course, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. We're all over the Internet. We're spreading the word of how cool motorsports is. Check us out.